As I said, it's great to be with you today, and it's a privilege to share with you um, at this time. And thanks for Sam, uh, for your sharing last week. I'm not sure what stood out for you. One of the things that really stood out for me is, is how important what we do today um, is and how it can impact in the future, in the bearing of fruit. And the choices that I make today can make a huge difference, even when I don't realise it, in what can take place um, even a year down the track. Earlier in the service, we chatted about fails and some of the fails that um, we've had or experienced, whether it be in the building side of things. Um, I shared about uh, the wedding cake that Mary and I had and how the top tier of the wedding cake fell over um, and that sort of thing. Um, but in what seems to be a lifetime ago, I worked in the hard flooring industry and I was selling tiles and slate and pavers and also teaching people how to lay each of these. And time and time again, when, when we were going through those classes and teaching people how to, how to lay pavers, how to lay tiles and that sort of stuff, we talked um, on and on and on about how important it is to get the start right to get the foundations right. Um, whether you're making sure that the surface is clean so that the tile adhesive would stick to it or when you were doing paving to make sure the ground was well prepared. We would often see terrible results where pavers would look like an ocean waves um, because people didn't prepare well. In the building industry, whether it be in the apartment blocks in Sydney, uh, where we've uh, heard about uh, some of the challenges that they've had with poor foundations there, or in 2009 in Shanghai in China, a whole 13-storey building um, fell over. Um, the foundations weren't great and the whole building just toppled over, unfortunately killing one worker. You know, the importance of good foundations is difficult to dispute. But the challenge is foundations, um, foundation work can be really costly. And compared to finishes like floor tiles or bench tops um, in apartments, nobody sees really the foundations of the building when the work is completed. Or if they do, it's not as if when, when you have people coming over to visit you in your apartment block, you say, hey, listen, come down to the basement where we, I can show you the foundations. Gee, they're just spot on. No, we, we take them up the top and we show them the balcony, we show them the views, we, we show them the views of the ocean or the city or the country, whatever it might be. But foundations, no, we don't do that. So to cut costs, builders and developers can also cut corners. Gambling on other people's investments and unfortunately, with it, other people's lives. It's probably worthwhile remembering that Jesus was a chippy, a carpenter. Following in Joseph's footsteps, he grew up learning the trade of being a carpenter. And undoubtedly, that would have taken him onto building sites where homes were being built. And it was likely that Jesus saw firsthand the differences between good and dodgy foundations. Jesus and those living in Israel in the first century would have also seen 
the uh, impact of severe weather events. In summer months, the Galilean sand as it dried could be baked as hard as rock, so hard that it could trap a foolish, a dumb builder who, to save time and money, would not do the foundation work to devastating consequences. Jesus knew it. Those on the side of the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee would have known the fickleness of the weather patterns that would whip up ferocious storms and how they could catch out fishermen and homeowners alike. So the teaching time ends on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus announces that there's going to be a test, an exam, a revelation of who is wise compared to those who are just entertained, amazed, foolish. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. When you turn your pages or flick your Bible on on your phone or your app, that would be great. As we turn to Matthew chapter 7, it's worthwhile reminding ourselves of the setting in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, we read these words, One day he, being Jesus, saw the crowds gathering. Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. And so from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, we have the Sermon on the Mount. Then over the next, these next two chapters, Jesus takes the audience on an engaging, entertaining and an amazing journey. Topics such as what does it mean to be truly blessed by God? How to make things brighter? How to make things better? Dealing with issues of anger, adultery, divorce. Being a person of your word, not seeking revenge. What does love really look like? Giving from the heart, performance versus heartfelt prayers and fasting. The crowd would have grown a little bit squirmish as they sat on the hillside, as Jesus talked about money, about not judging others. And then he talks about the golden rule. Then as we discovered last week, Jesus starts to wrap up his teaching by looking at results. Not showy results, but life-transforming results based on a personal relationship with Jesus. But rather than finishing up with a pop quiz, Jesus calls people to live out what they've learned. That's the test. That's the exam. With echoes of Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, and those life and death, blessing and curses sort of choices, and the cry to choose life. Jesus, with his audience before him, reminds them that your choices, when you make your choices, you choose your consequences. That the test of wisdom is found out in how you live life well. Then in Matthew Chapter 7, verse 24, we have this. 
Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the wind beats against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. More than just a song for children, Jesus' analogy, Jesus' illustration speaks to the heart of the difference between wisdom and knowledge. You know, there are a lot of intellectual people. The scribes and the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were smart people. They were full of knowledge. They could quote the Torah and they could quote, quote rabbi this and rabbi that. A builder can know how to build, but wisdom comes through the correct application of knowledge. To know the difference between rock-hard sand and baked by the sun and bedrock that would help um, when built upon to be able to weather the storms. Digging at times some three metres deep to hit a solid foundation in the Judean countryside. In the words of verse 25, it is the rain in torrents that beats against the house, the rising floodwaters that beat against the house, and the winds that beat against the house. And while it may get rattled, while the house may groan under the stress and strain of the beating, the foundations upon which it stands help it to stand and to withstand the storm. Those from Galilee would have seen such storms build up with speed across the sea, with devastation that they could wreak against shoddy workmanship. How dry, flat ground after years of any rain could become a watercourse of flash floods. A fool fails to put in the effort. Surface thinking, surface living, where near enough is good enough. Verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the mighty winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. The same rain, the same floodwaters, the same wind beat against this house with devastating results. Like a tree with shallow roots, this surface dweller comes crashing down, collapsing in a heap with a mighty crash. James, Jesus' half-brother, picks up a similar theme of foolishness versus wisdom in James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, 
is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. So as Jesus wraps up his teaching, he invites his audience to live life well, to live life with strong foundations that will help you weather the storms that come, that they, and they will come, to live with wisdom, applying the knowledge that has been given rightly, not just reading it, not just hearing it, not even learning it off by heart, not even through preaching it, but to live it out. So how does the crowd respond? Well, Matthew 7.28 goes on to say, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, the crowd was amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teacher's of religious law. Jesus was an entertaining, an engaging speaker. He kept people's attention. But there was something else, which is something that's pretty serious work. You can imagine Galilean sun on the side of a hill. People are going to start dozing off and getting a bit sleepy in the sun. Jesus was able to keep their attention. Um, he, but there was something else for the crowd to listen to. They listened to Jesus. The professional scribes, uh, the, the recognized rabbis of Jesus' day, they, they taught in a different way to Jesus. They were teachers of the Torah, like Jesus. They knew it back to front, but they would go and add weight to their teaching by quoting others who had gone before. Rabbi this, rabbi that. This is what this rabbi says. Oh, and this rabbi says this about this passage. But here, on the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus drawing out and validating the wisdom of the Torah. But he helps people to see it through his eyes, through God's eyes, as he unpacks greater understanding and richness. In Matthew 5, 21 and 22, it gives us a glimpse of this. You've heard it said, but I say, and in verse 25 and 27, you've heard it said, but I say. Jesus speaks with real authority. Not authority because of a sticker. Not authority because of a stick. Not authority because of some name badge or some sign on a door or a business card. But his presence. And through his understanding and wisdom, knowing his father's heart. He was able to speak with clarity, but more importantly, with conviction, helping people to discover God afresh. But it's worthy to note, just because you're amazed, just because you're impressed, just because you go away knowing more does not mean that a life has been transformed. For us today, we see time and time again, 
people are cool about Jesus. People are cool with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, I get down with Jesus. You know, he's, he's a good guy. They like his teaching. The way that he would challenge the religious establishment. They like his edginess and his morals and his values. Ask most people. They may say that the church stinks, but they're cool with Jesus. They may even be amazed at his teaching. But the, when the wind rips through and bears your soul, when the torrential rain is eroding away what you have surrounded your life with, when the floods come, and try to knock you off your feet. How will you go? Please don't think for a moment these times don't hurt. They do. They can feel as though your world is being turned upside down. Living out the teaching of Jesus does not put a coat of Teflon on you. That hurtful words just slide off without sticking. But hearing and doing the teaching of Jesus, living out the teaching of Jesus, not as some guru, but accepting him as your Lord and Saviour, enables you to develop spiritual muscle. It helps you to grow in resilience. It helps you to deepen your hope. It helps you to extend your heart. It shifts your perspective and gives eternal gravity to the here and now. So when life puts you to the test, not if life puts you to the test, when life puts you to the test, when you cast your eyes over the challenges that you see being spoken about in Matthew 5 to 7, poverty, anger, adversity, temptation, making a name for oneself, feathering a nest. How do we go? Not listening to an amazing teacher like Jesus, but following in Jesus' footsteps as his disciple. This does not mean that you will always get it right. None of the disciples got it right all the time. But what they learned was that Jesus, out of love, came to restore them, to help them to be the best that they could be, the best life in following and obeying Jesus. A pastor in the US called Erwin uh, McManus says something that has stuck with me and continues to challenge me. When he was asked about spiritual maturity and he was talking about how, how churches and pastors and people often measure spiritual maturity, he mentioned that for many of us, the way we measure spiritual maturity is in the wrong way. We, we look at things like the length of time that someone's held a role or how they um, are able to quote Jesus' teaching rather than how they live it out. You know, one of the things that, um, as I reflect upon the Sermon on the Mount, I know and I still have some maturing to do. You know, Erwin talks about the fact that the difference is someone that is spiritually mature in a particular area 
um, the way you measure that is the length of time, the delay between them learning something new for the first time and then living that out. That is the mark of spiritual maturity in those areas of life. Not about quoting it. Not about being able to name it. It's about being able to live it. We can have people that have been Christians for a long time that are still spiritually immature because they know the stuff of the Bible, but they don't live it out in their lives. You know, as I reflected on the Sermon on the Mount, I know that I still have some maturing to do. I need to mature more in effective prayer. I can get jealous in the um, areas of the success of others and just think, oh man, I wish that was, that was us, that was this church, that was me. Not in chili eating, just a note. I don't, I'm not jealous of, of Greg in chili eating competitions or anything like that. But I can have my vision of others distorted because of a log in my own eye. But that's why I want to, I, I long to stick close to Jesus. Not because I want to quote him more, but because I want to be like him more. I want to be more like Jesus. I want to do what he asked me to do. And I don't want there to be a long time gap between what he shows me and then what I do. I want to be able to bring a smile to Jesus' face. And when I don't get things right, I want to feel the presence of his hand picking me up, dusting me off, saying, come on, let's have another go. Let's give it another try. Let's try and get it better this time. When Jesus pulled his first followers together, he invited them to be a part of the kingdom, to live out the kingdom values, values that we see in the Sermon on the Mount. If we want to see God's kingdom come, if I want to see God's kingdom come in my life, if I want to see God's kingdom come through my life, then visiting and revisiting the values that are talked about in the Sermon on the Mount is a cracking place to start. Let me pray. Jesus, I, I, I thank you for the challenge, but also the depth and the, the fact that we can keep on visiting and revisiting and re-looking at the Sermon on the Mount again and again, and it continues to reveal new treasures for us, new challenges for us. I ask for not only myself, but for your people here at Northern, that you would continue to do an amazing work in and through us, that, that we would see a, a passion and a desire grow to live out these values in our lives, in this your church, that would make a transformative difference in the lives of those around us and our community. Lord, as we pause now to reflect and respond, Holy Spirit, would you move amongst us in a special way? Amen.
So how might we respond today? Well, there's a couple of questions that I've got for you. First of all, what tests or challenges are you facing that you feel as though these things that are going on in my life can knock me off my foundations? What might be going on for you? Are you able to name some of those things? What area, as we've looked at the Sermon on the Mount over this period of time, what area do you need to deepen in your relationship in Jesus, to deepen those foundations of your relationship in Jesus? And my encouragement is, over the course of this week, and you can commit yourself through the response cards to do so, but to read through the Sermon on the Mount again. And as you read through it, maybe even in one sitting, to sit down, grab a cuppa, read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, and invite God to speak to you through that and to reveal to you what area he wants to see some more work in. And then to invite someone else, someone that you trust, someone that you know, to pray for you in that area, to maybe even hold you accountable in that area, that you can live this out a little more, a little better. So what tests or challenges are you facing that can knock you off your foundations? What might you do to deepen your foundations in Jesus? And then to read through the Sermon on the Mount this week. And as you have, then to invite someone to pray for you in an area in which you want to live better. There's going to be some music played. I invite you to take that time to use the response cards or the chat function on Zoom to uh, respond to the message and what God might have been saying to you today. God bless you.